0: Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Well, hey church, we've been in a series this month called A Clearer Vision of Dangerous Prayer. But you know, we are not people who are naturally oriented toward danger. The best-selling chair in America isn't called a risky boy. It's called a lazy boy because we like being safe, especially in 2020, right? And so this month, the radical challenge that these prayers have presented us with is to be dangerous on purpose, Uh, Because our natural tendency is to drift toward complacency, to become lazy boy people, to allow the rhythms of our normal everyday lives to lure us into stagnation rather than pushing us towards growth. And we all do this. We all make excuses for why we don't take risks for God and grow and dive deeper and do hard things. We all say these things like, oh, well, I'll I'll wait till my schedule isn't as crammed, or I'll wait till work slows down, or the kids get older, or money isn't as tight, or I'll wait till I feel confident. And little by little, as the clock ticks, if we're not careful, we can end up looking back on a life of bold prayers we never prayed, adventures we never went on conversations we left unsaid, words of truth that were never spoken, gifts that we never offered, abilities we never maximized, sins we never confronted, lives we never touched. And listen, I don't, I don't want that for us, church. We were made for more than that. I don't want to just end up in my life sitting in a lazy boy someday with a shriveled soul and forgotten dreams, living a life of shallow love and hollow prayer. No, the world needs a different kind of people. The world needs God's people, a people willing to be dangerous. Our family likes to go to the zoo, and one of my favorite things about animals is the funny names for different groups of animals, right? We have a herd of cattle, and we have a flock of birds, and a pride of lions, and and we know these, right? But did you know that a group of buzzards is called a committee? (laughs) Can I get an amen? And a group of alligators is called a congregation. No offense. A group of owls is called a parliament, and owls do seem kind of British, don't they? A group of giraffes is a tower, a group of porcupines is a prickle, a group of flamingos is called a flamboyant, a group of cats is a glare, and we all know that's true. But I think the best group designation of all is for the rhinos. Did you know that a rhino can run up to 30 miles an hour? That's 44 feet per second. And what makes this even better is that this massive beast thundering along like a jet-powered army tank can only see 30 feet in front of itself. That, that means that a group of rhinos rumbling along at 44 feet per second can only see less than one second ahead of them. But I mean, if you're a rhino, who cares, <laughs> right? Like if I'm a rhino, I'm not worried. Whatever's in front of me should be worried because I've got power. And so the rhinos, they just lower their horns and they go full steam ahead, which is why a group of rhinos is known as a crash. And one preacher says that we as a church should be a crash. Now, I don't have a rhinoceros here with me today. So I guess we'll just use a a football helmet to symbolize this. Because sure, it's 2020, right? We have no idea what's going on. We have no idea what's going to happen. We can't see what's ahead of us. But who cares? We walk by faith. Not by sight. We've got power. We are God's people filled with his omnipotent spirit. And listen, church, you were not born, you were not saved to be a lazy boy Christian. We are called to be crash Christians. So, so how do we get from here to here? How do we get off of our tail and on to our feet? Well, we get on our knees. We get on our knees. We pray these dangerous prayers that we've been going through this month. And so we're wrapping up our series now with this one last crash prayer. And this prayer might be the most dangerous one of all. It's the prayer of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six, where he says, send me. Uh, So before we get to that prayer though, let me just set the scene a little bit. Isaiah chapter six, verse one. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, hold on. Let's just start with those first seven words. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now that may not mean much to you, but if you lived anywhere near Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah, this would be like saying to somebody in New York City, on the day the towers fell. You see, King Uzziah had been the king of Judah for 52 years. That's a long reign. And he was a good king. The military was strong. The economy was booming. But then in the year 739 BC, King Uzziah dies. And the very next year, the king of the empire of Assyria starts making his way toward Israel and Judah, pillaging and conquering. And so when Isaiah says here, in the year that King Uzziah died, he means in the year we lost our hope. In the year, our leadership was in conflict. In the year, our economy was in chaos. In the year, our future was uncertain. In the year, our lives were thrust into disarray. (laughs) Or in our words, in 2020. (laughs) And it's during this chaotic time that Isaiah prays this prayer, send me. But before he does, there are two major barriers to praying this prayer, send me. And the first barrier is fear. And I don't know, maybe Isaiah felt this fear. Certainly people in his country did. But Isaiah says that three big things happen here in chapter six. And the first one confronts their fear. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That's the first thing that happens here in the chapter. Verses one through four. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. In other words, calm your fear. Your country may be in chaos, but the king of kings is still seated calmly on his throne. Uzziah may be dead, but God is most certainly not. Isaiah says, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This vision of God is so glorious that the very best Isaiah can do is just attempt to describe the hem of his garment. Above him were seraphim. That's a kind of angel. It literally means burning ones. Each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. Even the angels have to cover their eyes to shield themselves from the glory of God. Even the angels have to cover their feet to to, to, to acknowledge their lowliness in God's presence. And Isaiah says, and they were calling out to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know, God is holy. Holy. He's totally pure, totally set apart. And in the Hebrew language in which this was written, to say something three times like that is called the superlative. It means that they are the the most of that thing. So if I was to say, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful is Rebecca Proctor. That means that she is the most beautiful woman in the world and I am captivated by her beauty. I would say old, old, old is Steve White if I was captivated by how ancient he is and if I wanted to get fired, but I don't. (laughs) The point here is that these angels are absolutely captivated by the power and the glory and the transcendent holiness of God on his throne. He is holy in all that he is and in all that he does. So why don't you just read the words of the angels out loud with me wherever you are. Let's say it like they do. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Read it with me one more time. Like the angels are saying this in heaven right now. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah says at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. You know, when we pray, we're doing what Isaiah is doing here. We are encountering God. And sometimes I'm afraid that we just kind of rush into prayer without pausing to think about the fact that we are entering the throne room of God Almighty himself in heaven, the one whom the angels don't even dare to gaze upon. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, the first thing he did was draw them into the presence of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray, Jesus says. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy, holy, holy. The first step in any and every dangerous prayer is to see the Lord. I saw the Lord, Isaiah says. And this encounter with God confronts his fear. It was April 15th, 1865. The day after President Lincoln was assassinated, And a crowd was gathering on the streets of New York City. They were angry and they cried for vengeance against everybody who had opposed President Lincoln. And just as this mad throng of people threatened to become an uncontrollable mob, one man stepped forward and his strong, clear voice rang out above the noise. He said, fellow citizens, clouds and thick darkness are round about him. His pavilion is dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Justice and judgment are the establishment of his throne. Mercy and truth shall go before his face. Fellow citizens, God reigns, and the government at Washington still lives. And these words calmed the crowd, and violence was averted. That man was a former Union Army general by the name of James Garfield. He was a congressman from Ohio, He was a preacher in the Christian churches, which is our movement. And he went on to become the only minister ever to serve as president of the United States. In the midst of all the panic and the chaos and the fear, James Garfield knew that what the people needed most was a vision of God on his throne. And that's why our goal for this year, first and foremost, has been to give you a clearer vision of Jesus. Because what you always need most No matter how tight the money, no matter how dire the diagnosis, no matter how strained the marriage, no matter how lost the child, what you always need most is to see the Lord. I saw the Lord, Isaiah said. That's the first thing. Next, Isaiah says, I was cleansed. Because if the first barrier to this prayer, send me, is fear, then the second barrier is sin. And some of you have unconfessed sin in your life that is leaving you shallow and rotting from the inside out. And others of you are haunted by the guilt and the shame and the feelings of unworthiness from your past. And Isaiah knows this feeling. Verses five through seven. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then, One of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken and your sin atoned for. You see, as soon as Isaiah realizes how holy God is, he realizes how unholy he is. As a sinful man, he knows that he is doomed. And yet at the moment he realizes his utter hopelessness, he is met with God's grace and he's cleansed. And the same is true for us. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 14 says, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. He has done away with the barrier of sin. When we acknowledge our sinfulness and we cry out to God, we are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ so that we can now enter God's presence confidently. You can be cleansed from sin. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. I was cleansed. And thirdly, he says, I was sent. Because once you have received God's grace, you are sent to give it to others. Verses eight through 13. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And here's our prayer. And I said, here am I. Send me. Crash. I have no idea what I am getting into, but send me, God. Church, make that the cry of your heart. And God said, go and tell this people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their ears, eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields forsaken, until the Lord and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. God looks out at a world that needs to know Him. And he says, whom shall I send? And I wonder today, if he's looking out over Hendricks County saying the same thing. Whom shall I send? To Plainfield High School, to Avon Middle School, to Saratoga, to the settlement, to the warehouse, to Eli Lilly, to IU West. Whom shall I send? And who will go? And the mission is simple. Go. Go and tell but god makes it clear hey this is gonna be tough Uh, some people will repent sure but most won't many will refuse to listen but you see isaiah's success is not determined by how many people listen it's determined by whether he is faithful to the call and the same is true for us it's our job to go and tell god will take care of the fruit And he does. Here in verse 13, the last verse of the chapter, God promises that if you will believe, a remnant will remain. A seed will sprout from that stump. And he's talking about Jesus. You see, ultimately God looked at the sin of the world and he said, whom shall I send? And his son stood up and said, here am I, send me. And so Jesus came. The Son of God became a man and he walked among us. And most people didn't believe his message, but he spoke the truth anyway. And he died for our sin. And so now, when we encounter Jesus, we say, I saw the Lord. And when we believe in him, we say, I was cleansed. And when we're adopted into his family, now we say, I was sent. Because Jesus is now giving us this same task. John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. So here's the challenge, church. Get out of the lazy boy and onto your knees. Pray the prayer of Isaiah chapter six. Hear my, send me. You see, this is where we set aside our fear and our sin, and even when we can't see what's ahead, we put our horns down and we crash. So, so look around you, church. Who's the person in your life who's furthest from God? Look around you. Who has God placed in your life who needs to feel His love and hear His truth? And then pray. you my. Send me. And I know that some of you have been praying for a long time for a lost friend or family member. And I don't know how exactly God will answer that prayer. I don't know how your story will end up, but he will hear you and he will use you and he will answer. I'll finish with a story that one author tells about a man named Doug and his friend, Bob. Doug runs a ministry in Washington, D.C., and one time he met a guy named Bob. Bob was an insurance salesman and a brand new Christian. And, And one day, Bob got really excited reading the Bible when he saw what Jesus said, that if you ask whatever you will in my name, you shall receive it. I'll let the author tell it from here. Is that really true? Bob demanded. Doug explained, well, it's not a blank check. You have to take it in context in the teachings of the whole scripture on prayer, but... Yes, it really is true. Jesus really does answer prayer. Great, Bob said. Then I got to start praying for something. I think I'll pray for Africa. That's kind of a broad target, Doug said. Why don't you pray for just one country? Narrow it down. All right, I'll pray for Kenya. Do you know anyone in Kenya? Doug asked. "Mm, No. Ever been to Kenya? No. No. Bob just wanted to pray for Kenya. And so Doug made an unusual arrangement. He challenged Bob to pray every day for six months for Kenya. And if Bob would do that and nothing extraordinary happened, Doug would pay him $500. But if something remarkable did happen, Bob would pay Doug $500. And if Bob did not pray every day, the whole deal was off. So Bob began to pray. And for a long while, nothing happened. Then one night he was at a dinner in Washington and the people around the table explained what they did for a living. And one woman said that she helped run an orphanage in Kenya, the largest of its kind. (laughs) Bob saw $500 suddenly sprout wings and begin to fly away, but he couldn't keep quiet. Bob roared to life. He hadn't said much up to this point, but now he pounded her relentlessly with question after question. You're obviously very interested in my country, the woman said to Bob, overwhelmed by his sudden barrage of questions. You've been to Kenya before? Mm, no. You know someone in Kenya? Mm, no. <laughs> then how do you happen to be so curious? Well, someone's kind of <laughs> paying me $500 to pray and... Well, she asked Bob if he'd like to come visit Kenya and tour the orphanage. Bob was so eager to go, he would have left that very night if he could. When Bob arrived in Kenya, he was appalled by the poverty and the lack of basic health care. And so upon returning to Washington, he couldn't get this place out of his mind. He began to write large pharmaceutical companies describing to them the vast need that he had seen. And he reminded them that every year they would just throw away large amounts of medical supplies that went unsold. Why not send them to this place in Kenya, he asked. And some of them did. The orphanage received more than a million dollars worth of medical supplies. The woman called Bob up and said, Bob... This is amazing. (laughs) We've had the most phenomenal gifts because of the letters that you wrote. We'd like to fly you back over here and have a big party. Will you come? So Bob flew back to Kenya. While he was there, the president of Kenya came to the celebration because it was the largest orphanage in the country. And he offered to take Bob on a tour of Nairobi, the capital city. In the course of the tour, they saw a prison. Bob asked about a group of prisoners there, they're political prisoners he was told "Um, that's a bad idea Bob said brightly "Uh, you should let them out Bob finished the tour and flew back home sometime later Bob received a call from the state department of the United States government is this Bob? yes Uh, were you recently in Kenya? yes did you make any statements to the president about political prisoners? yes what did you say? I told him he should let them out. The State Department official explained that the department had been working for years to get the release of these prisoners to no avail. Normal diplomatic channels and political maneuverings had led to a dead end, but now the prisoners had been released. And the State Department had been told that it had largely been because of Bob. (laughs) So the government was calling to say thanks. Several months later, the president of Kenya made a phone call to Bob. He was going to rearrange his government and select a new cabinet. Would Bob be willing to fly over and pray for him for three days while he worked on this very important task? So Bob, who was not politically connected at all, boarded a plane and flew back to Kenya, where he prayed and asked God to grant wisdom for the leader of a nation as he selected his government. And all of this happened because one man, decided to get out of the lazy boy and onto his knees to pray a dangerous prayer. Here am I, send me, crash. So I'm gonna give you the Bob challenge. (laughs) Start praying, here am I, send me and and make it specific. Pray for one place or or one person, maybe uh, one neighbor or one family member Be a crash Christian. And if you pray this prayer every day for six months and nothing happens, Steve White will give you $500. (laughs) I'm kidding. He won't, and I won't either, but I will take you out to lunch. And if something extraordinary does happen, you have to tell me about it. Let's pray. Holy, 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 are you, Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. And we are humbled, God, that you would allow sinful people like us to come now into your presence, to see you, to encounter you, having been made clean through the blood of your son. And God, uh, we recognize our weakness but we're asking you to disturb us and to grow us and to challenge us. We wanna be people who pray these dangerous prayers. So God, unite us as a church. Show us your glory. Save us from our little faith. Search us, weed out our sin. And send us. Here we are, God, send us. God, I pray that some of these people who are hearing my voice, I ask you to call them into full-time vocational ministry. For some of these people who are hearing my voice, God, I ask that you would call them to the mission field. And for every single person right now hearing this, Lord, we ask that you would send us. Put someone in our path this week who needs to feel your love and hear your truth. Send us, God. We're scared <laughs> we are we're ruling. We don't see where it will go, but we know that you are with us and you are strong and we trust you. So send us, God. And we are so thankful that you have sent Jesus to us. We want him to be honored and glorified in all things. It's in his name we pray. Amen.